Hello, I'm Toby Haydock, and I have such charisma that when flyering for my one-man Doctor Who show at the Edinburgh Fringe, I even failed to offload one onto a man who was wearing a Tom Baker scarf. Which is why now, I am only allowed to talk to people from the safety of the internet. Is someone who did come to see my one-man show, and we got chatting and have met up a couple of times since. So I knew if there was a quiet week or a gap in my schedule, I could lure him out on the promise of coffee and a cupcake. If he uh, eats too many of those, though, he'll be having to show his teeth to someone to make sure they're all right. But we'll forgive him because, well, well he's a bit of a fan. Uh, oh, yeah, I used a different setting on my new machine when recording this one, so so sorry if you can hear lots of background noise, but um, but uh, well, um, all, all all the people in the cafe um, have been in Doctor Who, so it's fine. It was deliberate. I wanted you to hear them. Um, that that clattering cutlery you can hear that that was actually dropped by the continuity woman from the mutants. Yeah, and that that slightly indistinct conversation all the way through. That's uh, that's two tetraps talking about Downton Abbey. Uh, and the man's voice about 12 minutes in, yeah, that's the voice of the hand that Holnil holds Sutek's cushion into place. Yeah, that's that's 100% true. Think I'm lying? Hmm, well, you are not alone. Don't get excited, it's not Derek Jacobi. Um, right, well, we're in a top-secret location that sells cake and peppermint tea. My victim has just had a strawberry cupcake. That shouldn't give you a clue as to who he is, but he has just shown me his teeth uh, and to prove that he's all right. So I'm going to ask him, who are you and why am I talking to you about Doctor Who? Well, I'm Robert Faulkner, and I was the leader of the Rocket Guards in Utopia, famously saying, show me your teeth, to uh, David Tennant. And um, and the other crowd of the TARDIS. And uh, it's not just a part that you got um, because you happen to be a passing thing. You are one of us, aren't you? I'm one of you. I'm one of you. I'm an actor and um, and also a big Doctor Who fan for many years. Uh, in fact, I was um, I was given Doctor Who to do as homework by my science teacher, Mr. Thompson. We had to watch an episode of Creature of the Pit to learn about chlorophyll over the weekend and come back and talk about it the next, the next week. So that was my homework, and I had been a sort of an on-off fan with my mum and dad up to that point, or well, my mum, really, and that was it. From that moment, I couldn't take my eyes off it. So, yeah, it's my science teacher. And did being a fan um, mean that you lobbied to get a part? <laughs> Well, I was doing a show over in Hampstead and I was on the train on the way back during rehearsals back to my, my place in London and uh, there on the train, on the tube, was uh, Graham Harper with his family and, of course, I love Graham Harper's work and I just went up to him and just thought, 
I just need to just say hi, like you do. And so went up and said, hello, Graham, I'm Robert Fugnell. I absolutely love your work. And he went, oh, my goodness, no one's ever said this to me before. No one's ever come up to me on a train. And I said, well, I really love the stuff you did on Caves and Zani and, and uh, Remembrance, Revelation. And, um, and I said, I completely adore it. And uh, he said, oh, that's really nice what you're doing. And we got chatting and I said I was going, doing a play and do you want to come and see it? He gave me his details. I sent him the details of the play. And he couldn't come and see it. But then uh, a little while later, I had I was I was directing a short film myself, and um, my phone went at the time, and it was it was Graham Harper, and then my phone broke down, oh. and I was crying, and I was like going, what what is the matter with it? So eventually, after the whole afternoon, I managed to get my phone to work again, and there was a message saying, it's Graham Harper, could you give me a call? So I gave him a call, and it was on his aunt's phone, and he had to call back, and he said, um, Rob, I'm doing a little Doctor Who, just wondered whether maybe you'd like to come along on tradition for one of the parts. And I went, <laughs> yes, please, yes. So, and that was it, I auditioned for the part, got the part, and off I went to Cardiff on Valentine's Day 2007, I think, to film, to film Utopia, which was marvellous. Now... So what sort of process, because people might not know this, what sort of process is the audition for, for, for auditioning for a part like that? Was it a, did you have to go back again? Did they send you a script? How did it go? They sent, they sent me a script and I had to go to Spotlight, which is in uh, just off Leicester Square, where I met um, Andy Briley and him and, uh, and, and, uh, and we just had to, had to learn a little piece and do it a couple of times. And then I went away and I was... I was in the queue to go through to because I was flying off to Dubai, I think, to do a to do a show, and my phone was going through all the X-ray machines, and it came out the other side, and it was my my agent had phoned whilst it was going through the X-ray machine, standing on the other side listening to the message where they were singing the Doctor Who theme tune down to me and say you've got the part, and I was standing there in the middle of Heathrow going. Yeah. So I found out then, and that was brilliant. So that was a lifelong ambition achieved. Yes, and, and the most extraordinary way. Just it just comes along, just there and then. There was an opportunity, and boom. And how long did you have to wait between the audition and getting the part? And that was that a tentative time. It was a week. It was about a week. So it was, yeah, it was. I was, I don't know. I was fairly confident. I kind of felt this has to be. I have to get this part. It's, got to be and it, and it was great it was very good and, yeah, it was... and so uh, you then get there uh, the, the fan dilemma must be do I let people know and did you and also as an adjunct there if you've got the script did you just get your bits or did you know that the master was coming back in the script it, you have your name across every page so, so if you <coughs> leave that script on the park bench they send a squad round to kill you so um, so I read it and the master is not wasn't down as the master in the script at all he wasn't named as the master he was named as something else and I can't quite remember what it was but he wasn't named as the master it was like it had another name, like the villain or something. Not Master was not mentioned on the script. However, the fan dilemma came when I turn up on set and John Sims there, and uh, I got introduced. So I said, "Ah, oh, John," so he said, "Hi, lovely." 
beautiful man, beautiful, man. beautiful man, lovely. He shook hands and he was like, and I was saying, uh, I was, and I said, I'm, I'm recording your uh, Life on Mars because I haven't seen it yet. I, I'd really am interested to see it. And he said, Oh, I hope you like it. I said, So, what are you doing here on set? And he said, Oh, I'm playing the master. And, <laughs> and of course, there was two parts of me going on. There was the professional actor who had to like not show a flicker. And inside, the fanboy was screaming and jumping around, and I nearly lost, I nearly lost my legs. And I literally went, "You're, you're, 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 um, you're, you're, you're playing the what? The master? You're playing the master? Oh yeah, yeah, the master. I think I know that part. Yeah." And uh, and he said, "Do you like my suit?" And I went, "Yeah." And he said, "Yeah, it's very much as a Paul Smith." And I went, "I love it." And and I said, "So you're playing the master?" And he went, "Yeah." I said, "No one knows, do they?" And then you're absolutely sworn to secrecy, and that. I didn't know no one else it, was, it killed me it was like everyone wanted to know what went on and I couldn't say one thing to anyone to, all the way through or when the series was coming out I was people going out but friends of mine phoned me up going look you know who Mr Saxon is who is Mr Saxon who is he and I'm like I don't know and they said you do know and I went well I might know but I still will tell you I don't know because I can't tell you and it was brilliant that, that was, it was actually it ends up being quite a lot of fun knowing that but of course, you weren't the only fanboy on set because a certain certain Doctor Who actor is also one of us. So, d- yeah. did you let on to him? Uh, yeah, we got on really well. We travelled up together and everything, and we ended up talking about various things like laser surgery for the eyes. And um, but there was one moment when I let slip that I had had tea with the great Pertwee, and I'd picked him up from his house in London, and we'd gone down to my house and served him tea and given him my my mother's cake that she loved and then we went and did a, um, a thing uh, uh, just, he did his one man show and when I sort of mentioned this Tennant literally punched the air with excitement and went no 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 so, so what was he like what was the third doctor what was he like so what was he like to know I said okay weird out moment <clears throat> I've got the I've got the tenth doctor asking me about the third doctor and you've never known each other I said it's just a bit of a weird moment you can see that he said yeah yeah anyway what was he like uh, absolute seriousness he was yeah he really wanted to know so that was a bit of a so we did have lots of fan moments and <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> and I said to him and he said so how old are you and I said well I'll tell you this um, when I was born the Dominators were on he said oh you don't look that old <laughs> <laughs> Well, you really are a fan, aren't you? And, mm-hmm. So yeah, it was great. He was great, great chap to be with, and it was uh, it was a lovely time. And John Barrowman was outrageous. In what way? Tell me more. He would. He likes. Well, he has a lot of wind, uh, and he likes to steal your phone. And he stole my phone and went running over the other side of the uh, other side of the quarry and was phoning. Uh, a certain friend of mine on the phone, a dancer friend, going, Hi, Damien, I've just seen some pictures of you. I like you. How are you? <laughs> I'm like, could you not do that? <laughs> Can you please give me my, just give me my phone back? Yeah, he's great. He's full of, he was full of energy. It was very funny. It was great fun. Now, it's a, it's a lovely part, and I have to say, and I'm not just saying that, I, I, my, my friend and I, Mark, and I always talk after Doctor Who and go, oh, we like this, we like that. And Mark said, I like the guy, I like the guy who was at the gate. He was really good, because you do get a nice moment of, uh, you, you know, the smile, and that's where we're going. And yeah. yes, uh, yes, it is, isn't it, when you say, is this utopia? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a nice part. So I was a bit disappointed when I saw that you were credited just as guard. <laughs> yes. was, did part of you not want a name? I've wanted leader of the Rocket Guards, always <laughs> named Norman. Yeah. 
Trevor, Trevor the Guard. Trevor the Guard, Norman or something. I always thought they could have, as a ninja, they could have at least called him Dominic Guard, you know. So. <laughs> a little bit of a playback. Yeah, yeah he's a flower child, whatever. But it was, yeah, I wanted a bit of a name. And, uh, you know, you always want more. I wanted to be inside the rocket ship. I wanted to have a bit more there. Um, instead of running back and closing the gate and then them all knocking the gate down. We didn't cl- the closing of the gate was difficult because we, we couldn't work out how to close the gate. So if you look very carefully, the chain that goes around the gate, how does it do up? Because there's no padlock and it's just a chain. So we had to make it look like it was really... It's, it's a magnature it's a magnature no, Tron. Magna it's chain. just yeah. you know we're in like the, the end of humanity and we, we still haven't got a padlock and so we just hope <laughs> that the future kind don't just pull it off and I think that's how they got in they just pulled it like that <laughs> very lightly <laughs> pulled it off and then they stormed in because that was uh, that was a big issue with a lot of and I also was the great thing about that Doctor Who is that the guns I'd never held a gun in my life was were the tra- the guy who trained us with the guns was from James Bond so he's he's top guy and that was the last person Daniel Craig was the last person he was giving the gun to and I was just, that's very excited and I cocked a machine gun and he said what makes you think you have to cock a machine gun it's a machine gun and I went I don't know <laughs> <laughs> you don't cock a machine gun I went all oh, right mm-hmm. right that's, is that a shotgun went, yeah. So yeah, so that was that, that was quite fun, and of course, what's great, you do a Doctor Who for the first time, and you're in a quarry and it's freezing cold and there's mud everywhere. That's what you want to do. You want to be in a quarry. And it, it, I mean, it was late. It looks late at night as well. So it's very late at night. It was very late at night, and uh, so I think I wrapped at about four in the morning, um, and we had breakfast. We had the late breakfast, uh, like at like twelve o'clock midnight or something, and then. David and the others went home and we, we carried on till four doing lots of running about and being and I think I just slept in a, in a four by four for a bit and then filmed my last bit and then was taken back to the So it's literally we were just 24 hours pretty much on set uh, Yeah and it was and it, well sort of it was, it was sort of late afternoon well mid afternoon till four in the morning so yeah, but it was loved every minute. It was so exciting. And and, and Graham Harper always seems to be this very sort of energetic he kind is, of director. Is, is that, yeah. is that right? he's, he's he's like he's like yeah, energy guys, energy, 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 energy. And he's he's right on it. He's he he, he loves he loves the energy of it and getting it all going. And it's uh, it's he's great. He's great fun. It's very good, and uh, and I guess you, is 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 uh, show me your teeth. Is that your is that your line of choice? You know, is is that your is that is that is that the the, the big your favourite bit? Is it because you? I, 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 yeah, seems to be the funniest. I mean, that's such a Rusty Davis line, isn't it? Show me your teeth. Why show me your teeth? Because they're not pointy. If they're not pointy, then you can come in. If they've got pointy teeth, they're not coming in. And uh, and it, so the really hard thing about that was like you're giving that show me your teeth, show me your teeth, and then you have to redo it in ADR, and you're, thinking, you're listening to it going that doesn't sound as good as it did in the room. <laughs> I did it before because you're screaming in a in a nice warm uh, studio, and you're trying to recreate going show me your teeth, show me the urgency you've got out there. So that's 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 quite quite. Quite different. So, to the uninitiated, why why would you have had to have done that in ADR? I don't know. I mean, uh, famously, David hates doing ADR. He absolutely hates it. And tries to avoid it, and, and absolutely, I can see why. Um, it's it can be to do with exterior noise. I mean, there's some strange moments in Lacopolis, isn't there, where um, Tom Baker is inside the studio around the TARDIS, and he's 
the lip sync doesn't quite work because he's doing ADR and apparently it's because the TARDIS console was going which is funny I don't know why they ever did it because they said it's wheezing like a grampus <laughs> and uh, so let it wheeze like a grampus and um but uh, but yeah but it just does sound very weird when you've got that sort of stuff going on and and, it, and so it can be anything it can be ex- when they've gone when they've gone to look at the brushes afterwards there's, there's exterior noise somebody said something and then you have to just redo it in the studio now you're a lifelong Doctor Who fan yes. you're in Doctor Who yes. um, how, how one do you tell people and two you must have chosen how you were going to watch this you must have rehearsed that over and over again well it was I, I don't know like any other Doctor Who fan I really don't like watching Doctor Who the new Doctor Who with anyone else in the room I mean it's totally an isolated thing I don't, they might talk they may even cough they might have a little sniff at some moment to distract me so I don't ever really watch Doctor Who with, that, anyway, with, that, with somebody in the room but this so happened I was rehearsing two big shows that year um, in, at the time that it was coming out and uh, all of the cast my godson and several other hundred people um, all that day had planned that they were sitting in this one room in my parents house in the front room and watching the whole thing and I've got to tell you it's a weird experience A. having seen yourself on your favourite programme that's weird and um, having everyone else around you suddenly looking at you while you're looking at you <laughs> at that moment because they're all like really because they all <clears throat> they all know I'm a massive fan of it and that said that they're like this is a big moment and so it was it was very it was very exciting and there was lots of cheering and whooping so I didn't hear a thing I didn't really hit, see what I was doing they were just whooping and cheering too much and we had champagne and everything so it was a bit of party and then I went back and watched myself later on in the night and just went let's see the rest of this episode because Derek Jacob is awfully good and I'd love to have actually met him um, but it was uh, yeah that was that was a crazy time so you didn't get to meet Jacoby? No, no, he was uh, he, he was uh, he was mainly studio bound, so yeah. and I was quarry bound. So why was John Sim at the quarry? Uh, he was back at the studio, so he was back at so we would we would travel from there. So ah, so that was the unit base. Yeah, and he was doing a later episode. He was doing the episodes um, on the Valiant, I think, because he was right. in his, his Paul Smith suit, and he was doing that back at the back at the boat. Because uh, I've, I've done a radio um, classic series with Derek Jacobi, and I was thrilled that Derek Jacobi was the narrator in this classic serial. Until, of course, I got there and they went, Oh, no, Derek, Derek's not coming to Manchester. He's doing it from home. <laughs> Sending it to you. Yeah, so I've worked with, like you, I've worked with Derek Jacobi and from never afar. met him. <laughs> yeah, from afar. Uh, it's just, and it's very funny because I, I, I met a, um, a friend. A I got a friend from Brazil the other day, and they went back to Brazil and they wanted to know what what uh, what episode I was in. Went back to Brazil, found Utopia, and was watching on there. Like, Can't believe you're in this. <laughs> I was like, well done for finding it in Brazil. Well, of course, the wonders of the internet you can find these things, but loved it. Well, now here's the thing, because and I, I think I can ask you because you're a fan. Obviously, this quest of mine, I need to cross mm. off. Um, a, a, a story the, the thing is I, I get an anecdote from each story and when they did the season survey in Doctor Who magazine it was Utopia slash 
Sound of Drums slash Last of the Time Lords, yeah. and I didn't vote in protest because I saw Utopia as a uh, separate entity. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, so did I. Yeah, and so did. Um, but it would Graham suit Harper. it would suit me, of course, if Utopia was the three. Because then I get with you, I get three episodes <laughs> for the price of one. But so you were in it, though. You consider Utopia a, a standalone. Yeah, and, and I think that uh, I'm right in saying Sound of Drums was, was directed by somebody else. Yes, wasn't it? sure. And, and Graham Harper said the following year, I want to direct the last three if they're going to be a trilogy, because he really feels that that Utopia stands apart as well. And I feel that it stands apart. Okay. I, I, I feel it's different from the other. Yeah. Damn, now I have to find a... I have to find a, a, a bally thing. But then, um, then do, do I become one of the um, sphere people? What are they called? The, the Toclophane, yes. Do, am, is my, am I one of those? I, that, I think that that's what, what, what the f- fate that befalls yeah, Dominic Guard, the, the, yeah, the leader Dominic of the Gard, guards. Leader of the, yeah, and so... Yeah, I do see it. And, and of course, you have to go with the, the great Graham Harper. If he sees it as a standalone, Okay. then I think we all have to see it as a standalone. And, of course, now, as a Doctor Who fan who's been in the show, um, which means you should get invited to conventions. Yes. Uh, have you, have, have you been asked? No. Yeah, I've got so many anecdotes. And you went, but you did go to Longleat. I went to Longleat with my parents, yeah. That was dragged my, made my parents go there. there was, it was chaos. It was absolute chaos. And, of course, massive, massive amounts of disappointment because there was too many people there and you couldn't go and see who you wanted to see. But then they didn't know how many fans were there. No. And then two years later, they cancelled it. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> That's a spectacular, That's wasn't spectacular. it? Spectacular. Bang in the foot. Put some more money in it and it will make you loads. But no. But it's a shame. But I loved it. But it's funny how, as as fans, we all have these different Doctor Who threads that run through our lives. As you have, you've met John Pertwee. Mm-hmm. You're from the same neck of the woods as William Hartnell? William Hartnell lived down the road in Marden, and I grew up in Nintes and Kent, and I grew up in in Chart Sutton, and he died in Linton Hospital, which is less than ten minutes away from where I live. Linton Hospital doesn't exist anymore, it's been pulled down and it's now houses. But he died in there, he lived in Marden, and he used to go drinking in the local pub called The Plough, I think, where my dad, granddad would see him drinking quite a lot apparently but then I don't see anything wrong with drinking quite a lot but he, he was um, yeah and so so they all knew him sort of as sort of across the pub because he was in there quite a lot so yeah so it's quite it's, it's, it's funny how it's all sort of around the area and so and you met Pertwee and you met Tom Baker and Tom Baker we do, yeah we were, Tom you say they say never meet your heroes but do meet your heroes because they're great Tom Baker Tom Baker was brilliant he was funny witty and he was I was his companion for the day we walked around Rochester he was so doctor-like it was extraordinary he wouldn't go into the theatre where he was doing a talk he sent me in first he waited by the station at the bottom I had to come out and see him and he stood over the other side of the road hands in his pockets with that big doctor smile and looking at it and saying how so what's going on and uh, it was, uh, he was great. He was, he was brilliant fun to be with for the day. Barking, loved him. Thought he was brilliant. And he did a great speech, a great talk, and he was, he was great. And um, the other thing is, I went to school with a young girl called Rebecca Nation, who's Terry's adopted daughter, I think. And that was, that was very interesting. Because when I was, so, so I was six, five, six years old going to her birthday party in this big house in Kent right in the middle of their big round car park sort of drive thing in front of the house was a Dalek and uh, I was five or six mum hand in hand mum going down to the door and I couldn't get past that Dalek 
it was a mum screaming, look, it's, it's, it's not real, it's not a lie. I said, it's not real, look at it, standing there. <laughs> and, uh, and that was great, so, so uh, and uh, that was a brilliant moment. And I had another really strange moment. Uh, uh, there's a theatre in Mason called the Hazlitt Theatre, and down the side of it is a little old brick lane called Rose Yard, and I sometimes used to park my car down there. And it's, it's, it's only the width of a car. It's very small, very dark lane. And I turned my car down there one day, and there, right in front of me, facing me, was a Dalek, on its own, facing me. And I s- simply stopped and had a surreal moment of going... Why is there a Dalek? Am I, am I asleep? Why is there a Dalek facing me? What's going on? And then out came two people from Waterstone saying, oh, we're doing a special promotion. We had to get him in. So we had to open the doors. <laughs> so, all right, and his name's Des. I don't know, oh, brilliant. That's great. But for a minute there, I was like, this is weird. This is weird stuff. Des the Dalek. Des the Dalek. Not Dominic. No. Uh, so did you meet Terry Nation, though? Uh, I probably did. I probably did, but I don't remember. And she was the Rebecca that uh, was there for Rebecca's World, which was the yes. other Terry Nation thing. Yeah, that's right, Rebecca's World. School. Yeah, and, uh, but I, I don't remember him. I just remember her. And, uh, and yeah, but I don't, I don't remember. I, I probably did meet him and his wife and everybody else in the house, but I just remember it being a big house, and I just really remember it. But I was very young, I was about five. Sure. So it was, uh, but it was a great, that was good. And it stays in your brain, that sort of thing. It doesn't go away. So yeah, so I've been good. So all these little Doctor Who things have happened throughout throughout my life, really. So it doesn't leave doesn't leave you. It doesn't. Well, um, look, I've got. I, I always end on a couple of questions. The first of which is because you are not getting paid, and I am not getting paid, and the listeners download this for free. Mm. Uh, we urge them, if they have enjoyed this podcast, to donate to a charity, which I will ask you to nominate. Oh well, I always go for a, an animal charity. Because so, um, well, World Wildlife Fund or Save the Snow Leopard, one of those is the sort of charities that I sort of favour. Well, that's what we will ask There's them only to do. about four of them left. <laughs> There's loads of humans. <laughs> There's only four of us. So if you give the snow leopards a quid, they'd probably do quite a lot with it. They'd get 25p each. Yeah, that's right. So something will happen to them. Yeah. And in snow leopard currency, that's probably yeah, pretty good. I mean, They've got to do something with it because they must be bored with talking to four of them. <laughs> uh, and it's Doctor Who's 50th anniversary. Are you excited? Oh, yes. I'm trying to contain it because I don't want to be disappointed and I don't want to know what's going to happen. So it's avoiding spoilers at time, isn't it? Unless, unless Dominic Gard comes back. <laughs> yes, and I think he should. Yes. I want to go back in and just sort of do something else. Marvellous Dominic Gard. <laughs> there he is. And what would your message, therefore, be to the Doctor Who fans on its 50th anniversary? Uh, I don't listen to spoilers. Um, and just... and just Because re- I remember the 20th. I watched the, the 20th anniversary. Uh, and that was on Children in Need. And it was, it was one of the most exciting moments of my life, I think. And uh, just to get them all back and just... Just sit, watch it and have a brilliant time. That's what I have to say, because I... It's just a once in a lifetime. Oh, it's twice in a lifetime for me. <laughs> oh. uh, so yeah, it's going to be great. So really enjoy it. Although of course, with children in need, they put the numbers scrolling along the bottom. If that happened now, the internet would explode. We can't have that. <laughs> we, we just can't have that. Or, or, or having that that little lovely teddy bear bouncing around up left. 
of the screen. That's how, that's how it lost its eye. Somebody, yeah. somebody <laughs> shot it. <laughs> what will they do? Is it going to be on Children in Need, do you think it's going to be? It's a Saturday night, isn't it? Oh. Children Need's a Friday, isn't it? No, I think it's a big enough event. I think Doctor Who is, is big enough to stand on its own two feet. Yeah, and it's a Saturday night, isn't it? Yeah. 23rd. Yeah. So, yeah, just cancel everything you're doing. Cancel the world on the 23rd. It should be a national holiday. Yeah. Doctor Who Day. We're not doing anything. Yeah, switch off your um, and don't Twitter during it. Oh, yeah. Don't Twitter. Don't don't come and go. Oh, look, he's coming in there because you're missing it. It just I think everything's switched off and watch it because you'll miss stuff. You'll miss stuff, and I think yeah, switch off your phones, switch off everything, and just watch it. Brilliant. That's a good message. Well, Robert Faulkner, thank you very thank much you for your time. Very much indeed. Lovely. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks to Robert. Uh, on a forthcoming podcast, now I'm not saying next time anymore because we've realised that we might not necessarily be releasing them in the order that I do them. Um, but I don't know what release order we're doing them in in terms of the order that I do them because I haven't done the ones I haven't yet done. Look, I mean, I could plug something which then doesn't appear for a few weeks and actually only happens after something which was plugged before it, so it gives the impression that the the present I've mentioned, the future, but then gone back into the past and done that before the present has occurred. But that would be very confusing. That would that would break promises. That would betray expectation, and actually that'd be, be really annoying or a or a timey wimey, as they call it nowadays. So in a future Toby Haydock's Who's Round, I'm hoping that it might be released round about February the fourteenth, because if so. My interviewee will have proved to have a very time-appropriate moniker, as opposed to the very inappropriate moniker that was bestowed upon him once by BBC Video. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Blake Seven, The Armageddon Storm. Shorin Burned. My name is Kelly, a member of the Rebellion. For several weeks, I've been working with the resistance movement here on Shorin. Del Grunt, mercenary. The resistance discovered that the Federation Science Corps has been working on a new superweapon known only as PDX-10. So, what's our next move? Where do we start looking for this PDX-10 thing? I mean, the sooner we find it and disarm it, the sooner we can safely be away. Well, according to the intel, Shorin is the likely target for a full-test detonation. Our planet Shorin has been devastated by a new weapon developed by the Federation. Data scrawled across the view screen. Data logs and vid records of the PDX-10. It's as if the planet has been turned inside out. We watched in silence the true horror of the Armageddon storm unfolding before us. Grant's weapon. It's real, all right. PDX-10 ready for planet-wide testing. No hope of escape. And the sky above us burned. Subscribers get more from BigFinish.com.